Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Will, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and dry shot boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. Sean is with Hackett Advisors out of Boca Raton, Florida, and Sean is gracious enough to come on the podcast here once a week to give his insights what's happening in the commodity markets and in the overall economy as we as he sees it happening out there and. Man, good thing we got dry shot boots out here because there's a lot of a lot of bull crap to be trudging through right now with what's going on in the in the old economy here, or the old election. So it, I, I I don't know. I'm, I'm rarely am I at a loss of words here, but as I look and see what's going on right now, the uh, the markets have have fallen faster for less. Um, over the course of our of our relationship here doing this than what we saw here over on, during this election. The last thing I thought I would see would be an explosion in soybeans on the soybean market uh, since election night. So I guess, what's your, what's your thoughts on this, Sean? Well, there's a lot of fear um, with the election, and, and uh, uh, the fear really was that one side was going to get control right. and put forth very extreme policies. Um, and what it appears is going to happen is we're going to have a split Congress where no real mandate has been given and that no extreme policies can really get through because in, in order to get an extreme policy, you need to have a comfortable majority in the House and a comfortable majority in the Senate. And neither, neither party is going to have that. So I think the, the market got really comfortable that what they think can get it, be agreed to as I think they're, that what they think the Congress, a split Congress will agree to is a lot more fiscal stimulus, which might include infrastructure uh, spending. Um, and that view um, has weakened the dollar considerably in the last couple of days. And, uh, and, and is viewed as being an inflationary uh, scenario for commodities and ag markets. And, and, and so, so I think the market is, is saying that that's what they think the next two years are going to be about stimulus, lots of government spending on infrastructure, and they view that as being positive, at least to the markets. One could argue that's not what we should be doing, and it's bad in the long term, but in the short run, the markets like it. They like stimulus, and it weakens the dollar, and ag markets like a weaker dollar. So it seems that's where the market has, has gotten to. And of course, soybeans had a little more reason for it to go up because the Chinese continue to buy and then we saw another big order from brazil and then we also saw record shipments of physical inventory leaving our shores of soybeans so while we got wrapped up in this inflationary scenario we had this incredible china thing going on with uh soybeans and it just took out the old highs and as you know corn wheat were not able to do that but soybeans just just broke out to new highs because of it so so overall you know that does paint uh, a continued fairly positive longer term picture for U.S. ag markets. You know, doesn't mean it goes up every day. It doesn't mean we won't have a correction. But overall, looks like 2021 could be a good year for for ag 
and for for for, uh, for U.S. producers. So it's shaping up that way, and I, I mean, I hope hope I hope so. You know, we've had yeah. you know almost uh, what seven eight years here of of a downturn um, with some. You know, every year there's a saying every year that there's a chance for you to to, to sell your crop at at a as a positive gain, and we've seen those, uh, especially the last couple of years here, we've seen those get up into the the mid fours and then kind of fall back off and then kind of get back up there and we're on our way back up there now and especially this time of year watching these uh, commodity prices typically during harvest where you hit you typically hit the lows uh, of that time frame we're seeing the highs so there is some uh there's some positive things out there some some pretty good tailwinds coming our way it feels like all right i want to talk about cattle for a minute cattle has had a hard time getting past that that 108 mark especially when you look at what's going on and is that, I guess, what's your thoughts there? Is that, a, is that a pretty big resistance point to get through? And once we get through that resistance point, you can see some, some more upward gains? Or, or what's your thoughts there? I mean, 108, 110 is a big barrier. Um, exports are phenomenal. Uh, but are our exports enough to overcome what probably is going to be sluggish domestic demand? You know, that, you know and, and, and we think some more animals will become available Older animals become available to the market after Thanksgiving for December. So there tends to be a seasonal uh, rally here in November heading into Thanksgiving. We're seeing that. Uh, we're not sure we're going to break out through that. You know, with all the just, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just looking at like everybody else, these viruses uh, going parabolic again. One has to wonder if, if uh, some states are going to lock down again. Um, Casey, I'm not saying I support that, but, you know, with, Biden administration, you know, it could be that there's more of an appetite to have some regional shutdowns again, and that obviously wouldn't be good for the demand for for beef, you know. So right. it's kind of, kind of a mixed bag, you know. I, I think we had some strong smart money buying near a dollar, and so we've had a big rally, but I'm not sure. I think we're kind of stuck in a two-sided trade here into the end of the year. That's what I think. Um, until we can get a clear picture, is, is this virus escalation going to lead to – shut down two or are we just going to fight through it and not and, and and not do that and i don't have an answer for you on that i don't know what's going to happen but i can see that might happen at least in certain regions and that's obviously not going to be what we want to see to to keep domestic demand for beef on on the up and up you know yeah so. no i think we're, we've struggled enough here with the economy trying to bounce back with from the first shutdown we did and yeah. the second shutdown is going to be even even worse than what we've seen now. Well, you know, you, you know, Europe's already shutting back down. Yeah, so, I saw that. Yeah, everyone's shutting down over there. Everyone. So, is that you know? Are we going to follow suit again? I hope not. But you know, like I said, I know the Biden administration is a little more uh, friendly to uh, some more uh, uh, forceful restrictions, and whether they can force states to do it or not, you know, I, I I don't know. You know, I just don't know. I just know that it's a risk, yeah. especially in the beef market. It's a risk. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm afraid that if they do try to shut it down, there'll be some uh, governors and and mayors and whatnot of certain areas that are just going to ignore ignore what they do, and and which isn't well, good here, for anything. I mean, down so. here in Florida, DeSantis, you know, is very much on the on board that he's not going to lock the state of Florida down and yeah. again. Um, and I'm sure there's other governors that have that have decided that that's not the route they're going to take because of the consequence to the economy. So that battle will be will be fought, and uh, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But I agree with you. I think it's going to be a little, uh, a lot more resistance this time than everyone just caving in like they did the first go around. So. Yep, I I totally agree with what you're saying. Totally agree. Um, let's talk about let's talk about wheat. You know, so when I'm looking at wheat, you got over six bucks um, in the December contract here. So. Um, to me, when I look at wheat, I see that there's seems to be more more uh, volatility in the wheat market just because of what's going on around the world as far as uh, as as the weather's been. You know, you got all the key giant, all the key growing areas of the world are in some level of a drought right now. Some worse than others, but um, and I've talked about it before. I pulled up the world drought map and, and take the took a look at what what's been going on around there and. You look at the Black Sea region; it's pretty well dry. You look at the uh, wheat belt of the U.S.; it's pretty well dry. You look at um, what's going on in Australia; um, they're kind of hit and miss, but they're more dry than they're not. And you know, so there, there's a lot of a uh, lot of reason for wheat to be climbing, um, just because of of what we see happening in the market and with the weather, anyway. And there's a uh, Got a long winter to come up here to see what kind of winter kill we get and, and what how how it what kind of moisture we get through the winter. But you know, you've talked about it. Other other climatologists have talked about it. Um, other weather folks have talked about it. We're just not going to see the moisture this winter that we would see typically. So uh, the last report I got in Nebraska was if we had a normal amount of moisture come through um, this winter in Nebraska, we'd still be way way behind because we're so far behind the scale anyway. So. All that being said, wheat looks like something there could be a, a good shot there to see uh, a, a being a leader uh, on the board compared to a follower. Yeah, I mean it's one of our our uh, it's one of the markets we think has has the one of the best um, upside potentials based upon the fundamentals and the weather outlook that we see. Uh, remember, the world's been hoarding a lot of wheat. They've been hoarding a lot of rice because they're worried about food shortages and the virus ruining food food uh, distribution chains. Um, and now, I mean, there's plenty of wheat today, but obviously the market's worried about the shortage that could happen in the summer of, next, of this coming season. Mm -hmm. And we're going into dormancy, one of the worst rated crops in the U.S. and one of the worst rated crops in Russia that we've ever seen. And we know that when you go into dormancy with very poor condition, you are extremely vulnerable to winter kill, more than, more than you would normally be. So if we get a, a it just it, it would only have to be even a mild winter kill event with this kind of poor condition and poor establishment, and you could really you know really hurt the crops here. Uh, so the next real what I would consider to be the next big market moving event would be a w winter kill threat, and or a winter kill event that actually inflicts serious damage to either Russia or the U.S. and or both. So. Um, and we think that's likely to happen, you know, that we're at least going to get at least one or two of those kinds of mild winter kill events that's going to compromise the crop even further. And then when we come out of dormancy into a hot, dry spring, we just put the finishing touches on the whole thing and we just get into a real, a real problem with the wheat market. So, uh, you know, we've been telling our producers store as much wheat as you can in your bin, sell what you have to to pay your bills. But, you know, we just do not believe this is a time to be aggressively selling more than you absolutely have to. Uh, we think this is a time to use your physical wheat reserves as, as, a, as a core asset for the, for the farmer 
um, and, and look for opportunities this spring and summer to, uh, you know, sell a price that's going to be more reflective of what we think is going to be you know, a very serious wheat shortage coming up. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, that, that's the one I'm paying the closest attention to just because yeah. of what's going on around the world. And, and that'll drive corn. Yeah. That'll drive, you know, because of the substitution factor and, yep. uh, you know, it, it just, it'll drive the whole thing. I mean, real true grain bull markets are driven by wheat and rice, the real ones. Um, you can have bull markets driven by, you know, corn, but I mean, the real 08 was driven by wheat, you know, 2010, 11, 12 was driven by the wheat market. So when the wheat market's going, that's how you get a full-blown grain, grain bull market to go higher. And so uh, that's the one we're really paying attention to. And we think the setup is there for that to happen, Casey. We really do. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's looking like that. I mean, there's just, all, like, you know, like I said earlier, even even in, in the Black Sea part of the, of the world, the same same scenario if they get if they get normal um, amount of moisture over the winter, they're still going to be way behind just because of how dry it was this summer and going in through the fall and and, and the heat and stuff that we've seen, which we've you know everyone's everyone's experienced and, the hot summer. So yeah, and when you're poor establishment and poor conditions, it's think of it. You have the, let's say you're sick and you have the flu and you're supposed to go out and run you know, run a five k. Mm-hmm. You just don't have the same energy that you did when you, if you were normally healthy, and that's why. They, you know, if the crop was healthy, it could handle hot, dry for a while. But in this condition, hot and dry for just a little while, it's just going to the crop conditions are going to cave in. Yeah. You know, it's really, it's really a, a perfect setup for a very serious situation. The yeah. most serious situation since the 2010-11 drought that we saw here and in Russia. It's almost a carbon copy of that, except we think it could be worse this yeah. time around. So. so speaking of dry weather. Um, Argentina and Brazil still early. I don't want to don't want to be that guy that's the the alarmist here, but it's still pretty early. But they've had some they've had some timely rains come through Brazil and Argentina in some very dry spots, but um, you know not not nearly to the effect that they thought they were going to get. Right. So now you start looking at at some of these key growing areas in Argentina and some of these key growing areas in Brazil. When it comes to soybeans, there is a there's a lot of dryness out there that they're worried about. So you know, as you look at South America, what are your thoughts there? Well, we really got it. When we get into mid-December, you know, we got to take a look at crop conditions. We got to take a look at um, how things are going because that's really where what I would call you start get to get irreversible uh, damage to the crop production potential. Up to this point, you get you get some time in the range. You get, you can still get the crop to be a really good one, um, but. So I think for the next 30 days, the market will remain concerned, but I don't think you hit the panic button. Uh, you don't hit the panic button for weather in November. You hit the panic button in December if this drier pattern persists or it gets worse or rains are missed in certain key areas. And so um, this will really be initially an issue for soybeans. Remember, Brazil's second crop corn gets planted in January and February. So that's really the key crop for export. And we really won't obviously have no idea what that's going to look like, but this would be more of a soybean issue. Uh, that would, could, could uh, and probably why we're seeing some relative strength in soybeans versus corn right now, because that really is where the weather would be most impactful, you know, in December would be the soybean market if it stays that way. And so, you know, it's, I think it's going to be, you know, I don't, I don't think we're looking at per, uh, top end crops, but I'm not sure Brazil's looking at a disaster either. It, it, it could, could, you know, I'd be, I'd be more worried about um, Argentina, 
dryness than I would Brazil right now. And, and uh, while that's important, it's not as important as if Brazil got into trouble. So it's, um, it's a mixed bag, but you know, we're just right now, I think the, it's, it's, the grain markets are still about Chinese demand. Uh, is it going to stay strong? Is it going to pull back? And we just saw this week, the Chinese came in again for soybeans and they made it, made a new high. So as long as that's really the driver right now, I think weather is being watched, but I don't think it's a driver yet, but it could become a driver after Thanksgiving. I'd view after Thanksgiving as the key point to, to focus on a weather market developing for South American weather. Yep. And it looks like it's shaping up that, that way pretty well. Um, you know, I, I've, cotton market's been one I've been kind of, kind of watching a little bit. And with the economic turmoil that we're seeing, um, usually cotton is a, is a pretty indicator of what we see happening there. But um, we've seen some some pretty big rally-ups, and then we've seen some pretty big fall-offs. But, you know, like yesterday, it, you know, we had a pretty good rally-up, but it finished down 16 points down at about 70 cents. Uh, what's your thoughts? You know? Yeah, I mean, the demand's a problem. For it's a very economically sensitive market. Right. I mean, think we've hit this thing. We have, we have another storm coming for Southeast cotton. Right. Another another <laughs> deluge is coming next week. Yeah. But you know, but the demand is really a problem. And so, I mean, if we had normal demand for cotton, if we had a normal economy, everything was rock and roll with the kind of weather we hit this market with, you know, we, we could have an eighty cent market easy. But, but we're not because the demand is just it's just not going to be there. And so. Uh, you know, once again, the weather has kept it from falling much, but I don't see the pathway to much higher prices so long as Europe's shutting down again, and you know, and we we <laughs> we might shut down again. It's just a really tough to say that cotton demand could bring this cotton market higher than seventy cents. You know, like we've been at it's it's. I think it's really going to be tough on the top side to do much more than this right now, and and I'd worry about some downside if um if the economy really starts to weaken further and the stock market starts to get hit cotton could go along with it for a little while you know yeah so while we're on the con the uh topics of economy and uh stuff that that affect that has a direct connection to the economy crude oil can't help itself but it seems like it wants to be between that 37 and 40 dollar range and you know right now we're looking at uh crude oil right now is uh 37.58 it's down one uh 1.2 um just can't seem to rebound from that uh, from that shutdown we had, you know, with the economy, and it's slowly coming back, but it just keeps hitting some pretty big resistance points. So, as you look, I, mean, at, I, I, mean, I drive I drive down here in Florida, right? Right. And, and, and we're wide open again, and the roads are just nowhere near as busy as they should be. Right. People are just driving less. They're doing less stuff. The economy, you know, people are staying home. They're working from home. They're driving less. It's just the de demand for gasoline is not there. Uh, like it should be, and that's a real, you know, it's a way around the, the, the crude oil market's sh shoulder. And then, of course, you have, you know, the Biden administration that's going to, you know, try to promote um, moving away from fossil fuels, which means less demand, you know, on the margin. So, yeah, it's a tough one. You know, that market just can't get out of its own way because of worries over demand. And that's the same like for cotton, you know, demand is just going to struggle here. And, uh, um, and a Biden administration isn't going to help. You know, they're not going to help. So, right? No, they're not. They're, they're not going to. They're not going to help much. Um, when you look at uh, when you look at, at, at some of the stuff that we see in these outside markets and what we see happening there, 
Um, again, kind of back to your point when you started off here earlier, they've been on an upward rise for the past, uh, you know, since election night, basically, and, and they've been going there. I'm looking at you know, the Dow Jones and the SP 500 right now, and they're up. Uh, the Dow's up uh, 542.5, and S&P's up 67. NASDAQ's up 300. Um, just across the board, there's, there's everything there. So what's your kind of what's your reaction to that, and do you think how much of this is built into some maybe uh, future stimulus packages that are, gonna, that are going to come out between now and the end of the year, or maybe even after the first of the year? Yeah, I mean, the market's betting that a big stimulus is coming. They're betting that a big, big stimulus package is coming. Um, they better be right about that. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they better be. Because <laughs> if they're wrong about that, it'll fall as quickly as it went up. And, yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if a split Congress is going gonna, is gonna to agree to the kind of stimulus package the market is betting on. I'm not sure. I think there'll be some stimulus. But, it, but this, what's happened to the market, the market's moved up on big stimulus, not you know, $500 million. I mean, they're looking at two to three trillion stimulus. I don't know if everyone's going to go along in Congress and agree to that. I'm yeah. not sure about that. And so it sets up the possibility of a huge disappointment if we get cut into a, a quagmire in Congress and they can't agree and, and, and this stimulus is either delayed or it's watered down. There could be, it could, I think the market could be over betting on this and it might be set up for some kind of a retrenchment when the reality kicks in that, both sides are probably not going to go along with each other <laughs> like they haven't got along with each other in a long time. So that, that's my feeling. And the dollar might strengthen as a result of that, you know. So I'd be very careful about overreading too much in the initial reaction to the elections. We usually do get excitement on an election. That's normal. But there could be a hangover, you know. There could be a hangover here. And, uh, um, you know, I, uh, I think – more has been uh, has been pumped in than is, than is justified. And I'd be a little careful, you know, reading too much into this is the way it is and it's inflation all the way and this is a guaranteed situation. I don't think we can guarantee anything right now. All we know is we have a split Congress and a divided country, and, and that means probably less aggressive than more. That's my That would be my feeling about it. Yeah. So. Okay, so the other thing that's tied to the economy and also to the, the strength of the dollar, too, also plays heavily into this is, is gold. Um, gold has, we've seen a high of, I don't know, over 2,000, and then it kind of settled back down to 1,700, but now it's back up. Uh, right now I'm looking at gold futures, and they're at, you know, 1,953.80. So they've had a nice rebound here of late, um, kind of based on some of the stuff here. So when you look at some of these, some of these, you know, precious metals and those kind of things, those are a hedge against inflation. So I guess what are your thoughts there? Quite frankly, gold has struggled when you really think about it. I mean, through it all, I mean, it's down from its highs and it's struggled. Mm -hmm. uh, even though we've had this apparent wild idea about inflation and the dollar weakening, it's, you know, the precious metals have a way of sensing a little further down the road than maybe the stock market does. And it's, it's not giving a clear inflationary signal that I can see it's not. And I, I, you know, I'm, I, I kind of think that maybe the, the disappointing performance of the precious metals might be a, a warning sign that what we just said that maybe the market is overplaying what's really going to happen here. And maybe the inflationary side of the equation, while it, it probably will be there in 2021, but maybe not as quick as the market's anticipating. That's what it says to me, Casey, that maybe we're overplaying this short term and we're set up for some, profit-taking or some money to flow out because they too many people got into the same trade maybe 
earlier than they should have, you know. Yep, and same with silver. You know, you look at silver same and see what's silver. going on there. It's it's exact. It's almost uh, they they parallel each other and 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 what so. and the way the grass looks. So, well, good deal. Well, Sean, hey, good information as usual. If folks want to reach out to you, get some information about what's going on at Hackett Financial and what you can do for them. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett H A C K E T T Advisors dot com. Lots of interviews and. Uh, sample reports to read to see if what we do might be of value to your listeners. Absolutely. So Sean's on here a lot, and we talk a lot about 21 and 22 and what we see happening with the weather, um, the La Ninas and Grand Solar Minimums and how they're going to combine together and collide and and uh, cause, some, cause some pretty big problems here for the world when it comes to uh, long, cold winters. So Sean did an um, interview with... Uh, um, was real vision and when he did that he was kind enough to let me have that uh, that audio i put the audio out on moving iron podcast number 195 i released it yesterday uh so yesterday for those of you that are listening here in in, in future times would have been october 5th or october 5th november 5th um and that would uh that'd be out there already so if you're listening to this now go back and listen to moving iron podcast number 195 and that's sean's interview with uh, real vision and uh what he kind of lays out there it's a very good kind of a question and answer type of deal and it's not necessarily just a presentation so um it's a it's a great great amount of information that gets laid out there and uh to be honest with you it's a it's a point of view that's not widely accepted right now but i can promise you folks when you listen to that and and see what's what's going on um what sean's talking about's happening and you know i i can i can be uh pretty skeptical uh, about stuff sometimes when Sean was talking to me about this to begin with I would uh, I was kind of skeptical till he started telling me uh, giving me some examples of stuff that was going to come and and a lot of that stuff happened so you know Sean I uh, thanks for letting me put that out there and and uh, you know like I said it's a great interview also make sure you check out the Moving Iron LLC website that is movingironllc.com that's where you can find the latest information about the Moving Iron Summit coming up in Nashville Tennessee January 20th through the 22nd uh, all the information you'll find out there. Sean's going to be there. Sean's going to have a great presentation to kind of go along with what his the Moving Iron podcast number 195 that, you, that would, that's out there now to listen. So give that a listen, kind of give you an idea what Sean's going to be presenting uh, here at the Moving Iron Summit. going to be some good stuff as well. Make sure you check out the Global Ag Network and the great podcasters out there. Listen to uh, the Dryline Farmer podcast with, with uh, Brent and Landon. Those guys are, are pretty funny. They'll make you make you have something to listen to during the day, and there's a lot of good entertainment there. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go be smart, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century Hardworking people working hard for you and me Moving iron time and time again Through the years you'll find us here